You may have a philosophy of life, but few of us are likely to have a philosophy of biostatistics. I'm John Baylor from the Department of Statistics at Miami University, and I'm joined by my colleague Richard Campbell from the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. Today we're going to be chatting about biostatistics philosophy on stats and stories with Frank Harrell, professor of biostatistics and founding chair of the Department of Biostatistics at Vanderbilt University. Okay, Frank, what led you to formulate a philosophy of biostatistics? And, and tell us a little bit about what's contained in it. I'm uh, glad to, and I'm glad to be here, John uh, and Richard. Uh, one of the things that made me want to write down a philosophy is I noticed most people didn't do it and they would get in various uh, dilemmas and so they might be arguing with a collaborator about some best statistical practice and uh, they, they had never gone on record of saying what a good statistical practice is in a certain part of statistics and I, I thought if you went on record you have something you can lean on when they, when you get in the heat of battle, maybe a contentious collaboration. And then um, the other thing that's probably more important is if you write down your philosophy of either life or biostatistics, uh, you start critiquing it. And if you don't write it down, you don't really think about it and try to find fault in it. And so over time, you refine your philosophy if it's plain enough to read. Uh, it gives you the ability to uh, check it, get other people to critique it, find out your blind spots, and make it better. So what's, what's one or two items that are in your philosophy? Well, uh, the one that probably is no uh, mystery to anyone is you want to use statistical methods that actually work. <laughs> and so they, they need to be demonstrated to work. You can do that either with a lot of simulation or statistical theory. Uh, another philosophy relates to my general feeling that skepticism is one of our most important tools is when you're working with someone, they may come to you with a certain way of thinking and they may have measured something a certain way. And uh, you often find when you think about it that they've taken something for granted because they were not skeptical enough about their own field and they're using a measurement. It might be a patient outcome in a clinical study uh, that actually hasn't been validated or that you can actually shoot holes in it. Uh, it, may, it may tell you that uh, uh, two patients that have the same response, the response has a different interpretation for those two patients because it doesn't take into account in the proper way where the patient started in their course of the disease. Uh, so questioning measurements um, and questioning the assumptions that the subject matter expert has made is a very important part of uh, of my philosophy. And then another one that's a little bit re related to that is I learned that you really do not want to put yourself in the position of giving some somebody what they want. Uh, it's, a, it's a bad goal uh, unless uh, maybe it's your boss or something. But you should be in a position to give somebody what they really need, not what they say that they want. Does so that's it, where this questioning and skepticism yeah. needs to come in. Does that work for uh, journalists? One of the questions I often ask our statisticians is, um, how well do journalists cover what you do? How well do, do they understand biostatistics? And what can they do better to tell that story? Because a lot of what you, you know, even what you did here for us is translating a little bit some of the more complex 
analysis that goes on. And uh, so talk a little bit about, again, I think a lot of journalists, I think the best journalists are often the most skeptical ones, but sometimes it's hard to be skeptical about something you know nothing about. So you're, you're often starting from scratch. So any suggestions for journalists? Well, I think um, knowing more about biostatistics is is really going to pay off. And one recommendation, David Spiegelhalter has a book mm -hmm. out, came out this year called The Art of Statistics. And it's really covers a lot of um, stories related to journalism mm -hmm. and reporting and claims made in the media. So his Art of Statistics should be re read by uh, journalists, I think, very widely. I think the other thing that happens with journalists is they, they may be reporting on a finding by a subject matter expert. Uh, it might be some quantification of how much better patients get with a certain treatment. Um, and it might be a statistical uh, statement of the results of a study. And the, the subject matter expert may not have perfected the exactly correct way to state the statistical mm. interpretation. And the journalist may not know enough about statistical interpretation to really question the journalist, mm -hmm. to question the subject matter expert. And so you get a lot of claims that are overstated, not put in the right context. And journalists as a whole, uh, they're under pressure because they want to report on things that people will actually read. So if you start an mm -hmm. article by saying, uh, here's 18 caveats you need to know before you read what's about what's about to be written. You, you're probably not going to get yeah. many readers. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned that that uh, when by writing down your philosophy, you can start critiquing it and possibly changing it. Could could you mention one item that you've changed since since you first did this? Well, that's uh, I, I think probably the one that's related to how. Uh, our results are stated so that they're useful for decision makers. Uh, I was trained, uh, like you were at, at University of North Carolina, John, uh, in more classical uh, statistical foundations. And uh, we had a certain way of stating results based on classical uh, degrees of surprise from the data, which is a p-value. Uh, but what decision makers need is they need to know the likelihood that something works, uh, which is not the likelihood of data, but it's the chance that the treatment works in a clinical trial, for example. And so uh, I, I didn't used to think about what are the inputs that the decision makers need, and now I've got that in my philosophy that they need to have more actionable inputs that relate to the probability that something has an effect rather than the probability of getting extreme data if it does not have any effect. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Frank, thank you so much for being here. Very glad to be here. Well, Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.